You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. All right. Hey, everybody. As we start talking about oral rehabilitation, there are a lot of devices out there for helping patients with hearing loss. Hearing aids, cochlear implants, assistive listening devices, navigating technology in the world of hearing loss is complex. But providing meaningful sound to patients is only the beginning. The challenges associated with hearing loss stretch far beyond the audiogram into the daily lives of patients and their families. That's why oral rehabilitation is is a critical aspect of patient care. Today's guest is helping clinicians of a variety of backgrounds, we're going to talk about all the different clinicians she's worked with, rethink AR and better utilize it in practice. Dr. Don Hyman is the visionary and president of Entree Audiology LLC, which is designed to help audiology practice owners collaborate and do more for their patients with better systems and ideas from other group members. She received her clinical doctorate in audiology, her AUD from the Pennsylvania College of Optometry School of Audiology, and is a member at large for the Academy of Doctors of Audiology and a fellow member of the American Academy of Audiology and her state organization, the Illinois Academy of Audiology. Among so many achievements, lectures, clinical expertise, she's also created the Hearing Wellness Journey. We're going to talk about that a bit today, which is an online oral rehabilitation program for people who have hearing loss and use hearing instruments. It is a learn-as-you-go, all-online program that has over 40 videos that teach more about hearing loss, strategies for hearing in different situations, and it has some listening activities. We are so fortunate to have Dr. Hyman joining us, so I just want to say thank you again, Don. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you, Dakota? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to talk about this with you. I'm really excited. Um, This is a topic that's so great because a lot of our listeners from SpeechTherapyPD.com are SLPs. And so oral rehab is one of those great topics that kind of spans our communication disorders, like limits, right? It's like it kind of involves everybody from teachers of the deaf to SLPs to AUDs to family members and caregivers and then patients themselves. I think this is going to be a really fun topic to talk about. Absolutely. It, it impacts not just the patient, but all of us. And the better we do our jobs or the more we know, the easier it is for the patients to hear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So why don't we just start with like the simplest term? So let's like define what oral rehabilitation is. And I know for people who might not be familiar, they've maybe seen like the re in parentheses so that it's also like habilitation. So could you break us down like a definition of what we're talking about today? You know, it's interesting. I was just looking at at one of my old textbooks and it says the definition of oral rehab and it went into three paragraphs. So (laughs) (laughs) as simple as you can, whatever you can do. It's um, enabling a patient to be able to mitigate the, the circumstances of their hearing loss with counseling, showing them how to use their devices, helping to reduce that hearing handicap 
and and it's it's shifting for depending on the age of the person or if you're working with the family the degree of hearing loss the type of devices they're using and it's it is complicated like you said there are so many devices and there are so many different um, individuals in this world that have their own experiences so we need to tailor our therapy for this person or this family so that they can be the best um, communicator possible. Sure, sure. So it's gotta be individualized and it's gonna be dependent a lot upon the technology they're using, what their hearing loss looks like, and even beyond that, because we know two patients with the same audiogram can have very different listening situations that they're in, abilities to understand in noise. So that's a big factor too when we start thinking about AR. Still kind of keeping it on the ground floor could you give us an idea of like what oral rehab really looks like in practice, like in, in a way that most people might see it before we get into like kind of like some of the newer ways of doing it, but can maybe like a historical approach to oral rehab? Sure. Historically, um, if, if I'm an audiologist and um, I have seen a patient, I diagnosed them with the, um, a hearing loss and then we agreed upon what type of devices they would be using to improve their hearing, they're, is, they're usually scheduled for a different day for the fitting. And once we map the cochlear implant or program the hearing aids, then comes the, because you look at the, uh, the look on their face when you're starting to fit them with something is, am I going to be able to do this? And you're like, don't worry, I, I'm going to do the acoustical part. Then mm -hmm. I will teach you how to use this because they're worried. And yeah. studies show that they're only going to remember 20% of what we say. So we try to simplify showing them mm -hmm. the basics. How will they put them on? What kind of battery source is there and how will they charge it if they needed to? Realistic expectations about how often mm -hmm. they should be wearing them initially and also letting them know the bottom line is today is going to be the hardest day with your brain being upset by these new sounds. So just keep an open mind and try to wear them as much as possible. Like that's the basics. Yeah. Do you feel like that's currently how this this idea is being taught to students from an SLP and an audiology background? This kind of like, I, I agree. I think a lot of the a lot of the current understanding puts all of the weight on like that first visit. Right. You know what I mean? Getting all of the information out there at once, and really, it's it feels like it's more dedicated to the device itself, less situational things, more just like, here's how you can just survive with this thing. You know what I mean? Oh, you're, you've hit the nail on the head. It is. It's, it's just giving them the bare bones basics, making sure that they actually maybe can put them on and then mm -hmm. let's follow up on a different day. But I know yeah. going forward, a lot of the, the oral rehab is reactive, um, depending on what the patient was having difficulties with. They say, they come back and they say, oh, I was having a hard time with the phone. And you go, oh, you want to talk about the phone? Okay. Sure. You know, and it's not that structured. It's kind of like, well, let's find out what you're having problems with. And then we'll talk about that and try to help you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I definitely find myself doing that a lot. I'm very reactive with giving strategies, giving information, because unless you had it well in advance, unless you're like using some kind of measurable, you know, questionnaire or something to keep track of these things, it's hard to remember to check in on that one specific thing that they mentioned that they struggled with the first time you met them, you know, a month ago. So as we so I, I want to think of it like there's a couple of different groups of people here who might be listening. You've got like seasoned veterans 
who have kind of maybe been doing it this way for a really long time because they're taught like, okay, my, my most important rehab here is just making sure you know to wear it and how to wear it and how to like maintain, right? And then you've got a lot of other people, maybe students or people who have never introduced this concept before who want to start incorporating, you know, more oral rehab strategies, if we want to call them strategies, or I guess we'll get into that a little bit too. So like, what do you think is the starting point for, for these people to start to reshape how they think about delivering this kind of service? I think writing down a list is the first start. Thinking okay. about, thinking through calmly on a day when a patient is not with you, everything that you would have loved to tell someone so that going forward, you have a template and you can follow along all these key points that you might not get to because you were distracted. Mm -hmm. Or if, if the person is running out of energy, their families have to get going, they were late to the appointment. So you can scan really quickly and choose the most important ones to start with, maybe check those off, and then tell yourself next time I'm going to follow up on these other things. Because sure. it, we, we want people to get the basics, the most important things, mm -hmm. like how to use it, realistic expectations and things like that. But we also don't wanna to forget to tell them about a remote microphone or an FM system. We don't want to forget about the television and closed captioning. And because those things are really important when they get back to their real life and they just want to watch a movie with their family. And if we don't bring yeah. it up, they might not ever know what to do until they meet someone else that gave them that, that suggestion. And, and we probably sure. should have done that if we had the knowledge. Yeah. So step one, write down the things that you want to get to have a list. Don't go in unprepared. Right. <laughs> How about things like questionnaires? Are you finding that those are helpful? I mean, there's a variety. There's the AFAB. I mean, there's so many hearing aid or hearing loss related questionnaires to monitor progress. And I guess not all of them are really like listening situation focused, but I feel like the majority of them are. Are there any questionnaires that you're using that you feel like you would recommend for people to start trying? I kind of go with, with um, what you feel most comfortable with, but the easiest one is HHIA the hearing mm -hmm. handicap inventory uh, assessment. And then the, the AFAB is a little longer. The COSI is mm -hmm. a little bit shorter. I usually do two of them and I try to have them complete it before we fit them with anything because I want to compare later on after they've been wearing the devices to see if there has been an improvement. If there hasn't okay. been in certain areas, then I know what else to work on with them. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And again, because we're often so reactive, it's usually something that, I mean, like I've found myself before where I try to put it in the day of the fitting, but then so many other things happen that we don't even get to that point. And then it's really hard for them once you're a week or two in of wearing it to go back and think what it was before. So then I feel like we fail to really like actually assess how much benefit because it's hard to remember. You know, I feel like Myself and all my patients, we have such poor memory when it comes to our before and after we started doing something about our hearing loss that uh, they don't remember how much they were struggling. That's that's another one, too, is when you look at like scores pre and post having some kind of intervention, 
people tend to overestimate how good they were doing before they got their you know hearing technology and it's like ah if we go back you were really struggling and so that's a great point just having that all well ahead of time before any kind of fitting in our office we're finding that we really need to ha- i it's me it's all me <laughs> i i need to have everything written down and so mm-hmm. we're getting more strict with our protocols and actually laminating the protocols for the the initial evaluation to make sure that we mm-hmm. don't forget they'll leave and we right we forgot to give them the hhia you know and it's yeah. just a dry erase marker something that we're checking off on that laminated sheet sure, same with sure. okay it's the follow-up fitting have another laminated thing to remember oh that's right we wanted to do outcome measures for speech and noise testing we wanted to do that hhia again but these are things that in order to change your habits you do need to write things down and then you need to have it in front of you so you start to practice it the more you start to introduce something new that feels a little uncomfortable and you practice it the easier it becomes a part of your repertoire but you you're right the the appointments become a little mayhemish and and it can be distracting <laughs> depending on who's there and what comes up yeah. and but you have important information that you really need them to know yeah that's i love that strategy the laminated sheet is a really great idea um, I also work with cochlear implant patients, and there's so much that we have to do in an appointment and so much that has to be documented in each appointment. And so, uh, yeah, I have a similar strategy now, especially on the initial activation days where so much of it is like, these are a lot of new things you're going to have to start dealing with starting today and every day. And yeah, having that already written down is a huge help in keeping myself organized, you know, and having that visual reminder of, you know, keeping things on track, like an agenda. Yeah, that's a great strategy. There are some audiologists and um, possibly speech pathologists that are um, pre-COVID without the masks and things, we're doing group therapy lessons. And Mm -hmm. um, so that they can have a more structured PowerPoint presentation ready to go. They're more organized. And it's not on a day where the patients are, are nervous but they actually can sit back and relax. And maybe they've started playing with the devices or the family can be there and they're starting to get used to these things. And then as they learn it, they digest it easier and then they can ask questions as well. Yeah, I love that idea. We, we, we had a similar kind of group rehab option but it was it was kind of like a rotation of guests. It wasn't like it wasn't like a program we had where you said, okay, this one we're gonna talk about this like as a clinic. It was more like we'd invite people from the community to talk about things. But I really like that idea because it takes the pressure off the patient from that first day where they're so nervous about, yeah, like you said earlier, is this gonna work? Like, how am I gonna maintain this? You lift the pressure off them, but it takes the pressure off of you to cram so much into an appointment as well. Yeah, and I think I told you my youngest has type one diabetes. And I, I learned a lot about what I needed to incorporate in my own clinic from taking my, from my son, suddenly his pancreas died. So think about it in a major organ dying, like the ear suddenly dies and the child needs a cochlear implant, let's say, right? And, mm-hmm. and then going to these appointments with the endocrinologist and that endocrinologist is, is telling us, okay, uh, actually before we left the um, ICU, we had to know how to do all the algebra to figure out the amount of insulin. We had to learn how to do injections, all this stuff. But then from there, we had to go to classes where they taught us everything we would need to know in order to help us as a family, but him also be able to mitigate these circumstances and to be able to move forward. But it included educating about how our digestive system works, 
about what the pancreas did. And I think it's really important for our patients and our families, a lot of them really don't know how the ear works. And it would be mm. empowering for them to know more about what's going on if we taught about how the ear works and, and beyond just the audiogram, just a little bit more. And then yeah. teaching about mitigation strategies and realistic expectations. And you can say, well, some people are worse than others, but like for the endocrinology, the nurse educator, we had to go to these classes before we could get yeah. these devices, but that he would wear on his body. But they broke it down where starting a childhood all the way to adults. And so we learned about some, mm -hmm. of, and there were babies with families in our classes you know, I can't imagine a 12 month old that has to have shots every two hours, you know, all the way to a senior sitting next to me who had type one diabetes also, and he had had it for years, but he was about to get new devices. So it's cool how they have it structured. And it was required sure. that all patients and their families came to these. And mm -hmm. it's something for us to think about. And it was not free. We had to pay a $30 copay for each class. It was required that we went before they wrote the medical recommendation for us to be able to get these medical devices for our children. Hmm, interesting. It was very interesting. So you think about it, how many families were in that class? $30 a class, three days a week. Um, the clinic was actually making money and they were making the patients and the families more su successful. The clinic was more successful. And it was just group learning. They created three yeah. PowerPoint presentations and they required everyone to go. And I think our family is much better off because they broke it down for us and assumed nothing. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. I remember you told me before that when you first kind of had, I don't know if this was more the idea for the hearing wellness journey or if this was more related to entree audiology, but it was it was this experience for you where you could kind of see how this group teaching setup could be really successful and how similar that is to the hearing loss, you know, journey in terms of learning about a diagnosis, learning about specifically technology and, you know, making that appropriate for a lot of different ages, different families, having to communicate it in, you know, so many different ways. The child needs to understand it. The parent needs to understand it. The senior citizen who's there needs to understand it. And yeah, I think that's a really great analogy. And I think that model, the way that you just explained it is so helpful for clinics who think you know, I don't know like how this is going to work. Like, will people pay to come to this kind of thing? They definitely will. And I mean, for you, for your son's situation, it sounds like they required it for you to even go through with that. I mean, I guess that's an option for clinics to think about is like, because and for example, and not, even as I say it out loud, I'm like, we could totally do this with our hearing aid patients, but for the vast majority of our cochlear implant patients, they do have to go through our oral rehab program provided by auditory verbal therapists in our clinic. But the same could be said for our hearing aid patients. It might look different because some of them aren't learning to listen for the very first time. But, you know, for a lot of them, it's learning a lot of information. And I do think that's a really great idea for a model for clinics to take on that makes it so much more manageable. You can schedule it out. You don't have to cram so much into your individual appointments. I think that's a really great idea. Thanks. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a combination of things. But in my clinic itself, and then I created the hearing wellness journey where I was th trying to think of how can I make this more doable because uh, a group meeting, I personally didn't see it as something that I could do. Our office is too small, but a hospital mm -hmm. setting, absolutely. If there's even an educational liaison that could run it, yeah. if, you know, if different professionals in your clinic could um, come in and take little um, parts of the presentations would be good. But I think the bottom line is you want everyone to be as educated as possible 
tell them the things to try to avoid before they had to fail to learn that, you know? And then if it's repeated or you give them something, even handouts, or like I created an online video thing that they can keep reviewing, if they, when it comes up again, they have something to reference. Yeah. You know, how, many, how many families are expecting a baby and it's not in their mind or their plans that the baby's going to be born with a hearing loss? 90%. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So then, um, and it's, it, it, there's a lot of stress involved in things. And if we can just have something more efficient for the, them, we all know what we know, but I'm worried because I've worked in the pediatric clinics. I was a cochlear implant um, audiologist. I work with the adults. I've seen it all. And I even like did a little three month stunt um, as an educational audiologist. We all have a lot of information, but it's not consistently dispersed. Yeah. And um, and the families are, are really not knowing enough, I believe, especially with the adult families. Sure. They, there are how many people that they come in and they're depressed and they say, my wife keeps yelling at me because I can't hear her when she's in the other room. I'm like, why is the wife not coming to the appointment so I can let her know that's not okay? You know, they assume, oh, you're wearing your hearing aids. You have a uh, perfect hearing now. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's such an important point about like how, and we're going to talk, I think I'd like to get into like some specifics on our rehab for like children versus adults, oh, yeah. but like one of the most critical aspects is the family is a unit for the most part. In most situations, you're not the only person impacted by your hearing loss. Like I can't think of any patients I have who are the only person who's impacted by their hearing loss. And so everyone has to be on board with what we're doing here in order for everyone to be successful. Yeah, that's a great point. So could you break down then a little bit of um, like what auto rehab looks like for children versus what it looks like for adults? If we want to start with like the kid section. Sure. So let's start with like the infants, toddlers, preschoolers. Um, the oral rehab is mainly teaching the parents on um, mm -hmm. how to consistently put the hearing aids on, get the hearing aids to stay on, make sure they aren't thrown out the car window while you're driving down the street, don't eat them, mm -hmm. you know, all that good stuff. But giving them um, the hope and giving them all of this information in a positive way of, oh, I'm so excited yeah. he's going to hear all of this. And, oh, when you put them on, maybe do, let's pair it with something positive. And so that yeah. they're super excited when they get their hearing aids on. And, you know, initially it's going to be rough, but it's going to be okay. Eventually they're going to bring you the ears and they want to put them on, you know, mm -hmm. and teaching them things about, you know, you're going to probably have an early interventionist that comes to your home and they're going to do speech therapy and they're going to do uh behavioral therapy and but while you're with the child talk as much as possible please as much as possible sing songs sing happy birthday all day long if the doorbell rings pick up that child and run there and you know um, give them strategies of where to store the batteries um, making sure that the the child isn't eating them by accident don't let them suck on the hearing aid have like mirrors in the back of your car if you have an FM system, let's make sure we're using it while you're driving around, you know, dropping off kids at different activities, you know. Um, as the kids get older, obviously things change. Once they get to preschool, we want to talk about, you know, um, more social friends, things like that, trying to, you know, um, the school's going to have this FM system and doing listening checks. If the teacher doesn't know what to do, maybe you could go in and listen reading, reading to the child constantly, trying to get them to to even do listening checks, teaching the parents about the ling sounds, 
making sure the devices are working. Then we get to what? Kindergarten, grade school, really empowering the, pa the parents to say, or even beforehand, do not let this child think that there is something wrong with them and you're trying to hide their hearing loss. The whole thing, well, we try to keep the hair long. No, 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 no. Because you want to empower this child when someone goes, what is that? You want them to say, oh, they're my hearing aids. And all the kids go, okay, cool. And then they all want hearing aids too, you know? Um, as opposed to if that child starts to get nervous and they're trying to hide their ears and the kids will go, wait, something's different. This child, they're hiding something. And that's when the bullying starts. And we don't want bullying. We want this child to know they're special and we're gonna push right through. And so the parents are encouraged. What are we gonna do with soccer? Are we gonna let them wear the FM system, you know, and cheat? Or are we gonna like just put them out there, you know? Um, swim practice, just let the families know anything is possible. We just have to make remediation strategies, you know? Um, talking to them about um, retention clips, talking to them about, you know, if, if you're worried about this thing going flying while they're bike riding, have like ear gear or something that's connected, you know? Um, talking to them about, you know, um, what happens when you go to the swimming pool? Do you have a strategy for where you're gonna put the hearing aids or the implant? Do you have a backup pair that maybe they could get kind of splashy? Um, do you have, can we teach you some basic sign language skills even if that's not the mode of communication you were going with? Oh my gosh, mode of communication. You have to start talking to these parents from day one and letting them know it's okay to change the mode of communication if it's not working for you and your family. Yes, that's so critical. Oh, yeah. That's so critical. They feel bad about stuff and mm -hmm. think that they have to push through with something. But if their child wants to sign and you want them to hear, why not work together? Or But I think at the swimming mm -hmm. pool, it's really important that they learn some sign language cues because it's so yeah, noisy. That's a, that's a great strategy. I, I, I haven't heard of that specifically like for that kind of instance, but I think that's a really great point. That's one of the places where a child is almost never wearing their hearing devices. And so they're almost always at a little bit more risk of missing something or, you know, things like that. So I think that's a really great utilization of those, those skills, that, that kind of signing skill. We want them to communicate and we want them to be able to know it's time to go home now, you know, <laughs> as opposed to, cause every kid, I have a mother of three, nobody can hear at the pool. But when they see their mother and she's like going like this, now they know what's going on, even if they can hear. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And and to your point about, you know, communication modality and that being kind of a part of this journey, um, I see that a lot in my teens who are really starting to work out who they are and their identity. And, you know, a lot of them have grown up in very rural areas where they never had access to sign. I mean, I didn't know them when they were babies, but obviously their parents decided that spoken language would be their primary form of communication. Then they reach a point in their teens where they're really working out who they are and they feel like, you know, have I missed something because I didn't know sign and now they want to learn. Um, and I will say as a part of this journey, the idea of having deaf mentorship is so awesome for these teenagers to meet someone. And I'm more thinking specifically like my cochlear implant patients who are, you know, they take off their implants and they are deaf, right? right. And they're really starting to, to work that out. And so um, for audiologists who are working in pediatrics, I can't recommend enough that you either connect with some of your former patients who are a little bit older, maybe college age is, college age is ideal, um, or connect with like a college in your area, or you can reach out to Gallaudet specifically, and they're happy to connect your, your students with um, deaf mentors. 
But in that kind of really critical stage where they're working out, you know, like, am I, should I be signing? Should I be like speaking with my family? I mean, I've been running, I feel like lately I've been running into that a lot. I don't know if that's related to the pandemic and people are more at home and they're a little bit more closed off from the world. Um, but I do think deaf mentorship is a great tool at this, at that point of the journey for a lot of, for a lot of teens. Yeah. I think just being a teenager is tough to begin with. And then you add the hearing loss to it. Chris English um, has has done a lot of, of um, research and, and um, presentations about working with the um, the middle schoolers on up, the kids that um, they're suddenly at any age with with even normal hearing kids go to school and they all want to look the same and no one wants to stand out. So you have that struggle, and this is the point where you're helping the parents getting through the stages where the child whoops, lost their devices, or they're not wearing them when they get to school. I hear fine, and their grades are failing. And that's when you coach the parents to coach the child to say, what do you really want to do in life? Let's dream big. Let's do it. Chris English says she she had a patient once, and the child the, it was like 13, 14 years old, and she said that she asked him, what do you want to do? I know you don't want to wear your hearing aids, but what do you want to do when you, when you get bigger? Don't, don't tell me now. I'll meet you and I'll see you in a week, but that's your homework. And she had him come back and he was like, I think, I think it was, he, I want to be a veterinarian. She's like, really? That's a, I love that. I think you should be a veterinarian too, but what do you think it's going to get, it's going to take to get there? And he had to, for his assignment, go for a week and find out what it's going to take. Then he comes back and and he goes, well, it turns out I have to go, I have to, you know, do well in high school and then I have to go to college and then I have to go to veterinarian school. And, um, and she's like, so that's great. Yeah. You know what, you, and you know what schools now to go to? And he's like, definitely. She's like, do you think maybe you'd need to hear in your classes in order to be able to meet that goal? And he's like, yeah, probably. And she goes, and do you know that, that you're worth it? You can be a veterinarian. These hearing aids are something that are, they're helping you and you need to be proud of you and want to do what you want to do in life. And don't worry about anybody else, but that's so hard to tell the kids and the parents are struggling with this. So maybe having some kind of oral rehab support group for the kids, or even like, like you said, the, the peer to peer meeting others, having families get together would be helpful, but it's a, it's a struggle. Even the 70 year olds, they don't want anyone to know that they're wearing hearing aids. They don't yep. want to come in because for some reason they feel like the whole world is going to laugh at them. And then afterwards they're, they're like, this is great. No one knows I'm wearing them. We're like, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say like as, as much time and energy as I'll put into explaining how much better one of my older adult patients will do with a cochlear implant. And I mean, I am giving them all of the information. We're talking specifics about their life, like really breaking it down. And they understand. They're like, oh my gosh, this would be so helpful. They, they are always so much more motivated to move forward with it. After we have a list of uh, previous patients who are willing to have conversations it's always after that phone call that they're like, okay, I'm on board. I just needed to talk to one other person who's been through this, who can tell me it's going to be okay. And all of these examples I think are so hilarious because like all of this falls under oral rehab. That's why it's such a crazy like term. And one of the biggest things too, is that none of this stuff is really taught. Yeah. Does that make sense? It like, doesn't. It doesn't make creating sense. Creating these programs. Yeah. 
it's one of the biggest parts of our job. It's one of the most critical things that we provide and one of the biggest supports that we provide. But I don't feel like almost any of this is like explicit instruction for students of audiology or speech. It's like things that eventually you pick up because you realize they're needed. It's a, it's a huge need for our patients. Right. And it's, it's crammed in in some places to the last 10 minutes of that appointment. Yeah. And it's mind boggling. At the same time, maybe this is why success rate um, or at least the, um, the, the low usage rate of hearing devices is there. And so many people publicly would say, well, I tried and they didn't work. Well, maybe they weren't given mm-hmm. all the tools to be successful. You yeah. know? Yeah, I com- I completely agree. It's it's one of those factors in the bigger picture of things that's definitely contributing to the the poor uptake in in device use. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So actually, why don't we? That's that's kind of a great transition one because I wanted to ask you the this like kind of more involved approach to AR, starting group treatment options, being more specific with plans. Like, what are the challenges, and like, what do you think is really holding? clinicians back from implementing these things more often time yeah i think that time to plan time to write this all down making a decision that you're going to change and if you have multiple clinicians in a clinic um, getting everyone on board to say yep we're all going to do this that's that's the second problem getting people on board with it and then implementing it so that it's efficient and cost effective because so many clinics are like, well, if you, there's not a code for that, if we can't get reimbursed for it, you can't be spending two hours doing that. And that's why one of the reasons why I created the hearing wellness journey was because I didn't have enough time to spend with everybody. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to videotape every single topic that I ever wanted to, to do in short little videos so that I can play them at any time or I just sign up my patients and I give them homework and they have to keep coming back after they've done each module. But at least I know that we are hitting everything that I want them to know. But that takes resources. That takes preparedness. This took me a year to build the thing. It is not easy, but especially it's not cost effective. And that's why I think it's cool that the endocrinologists are charging for these sessions. And by the way, we got to meet families then. So we were forced into meeting others and finding out it's going to be okay. Mm, Yeah, I like that a lot. I I had a question. I think we'll get to it in a little bit when we talk more about like making it a cost effective model for providing this care. I know you're a practice owner. Like that's definitely something that's on your mind is like, I want to provide a service for people, but I also have to stay open. You know, I can't provide any service if I'm not open. Before we get into that, do you have any insights into like, an SLP versus AUD perspective on oral rehab, like where those roles differentiate and collide, that kind of a thing? Now, it depends on the age of the, the person. So I feel like if a, an SLP that's working with a kiddo who has a hearing loss, they need to know how to you know work the hearing devices, uh, doing listening check and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And while they're doing about to do their their speech therapy, let's say reviewing with the families or reviewing with the child, depending on how the child is um, to take responsibility of, oh, I noticed that this battery isn't working. Let's practice on changing it now. Or when they're doing their regular Arctic and listening therapies, they also will realize where the hangups are. Like communication on a phone is important. So that could be incorporated into 
their therapy session of practicing using the phone, using FaceTime, things like that, how to turn on the telecoil on the hearing aid and setting the phone right, or using mm -hmm. a cell phone, you know. With the older population, I understand that uh, SLPs are doing um, oral rehab in the senior communities. And so mm -hmm. with that, again, making, they're going to come along and before you start doing your therapy, you want to make sure they can hear you. So they might stumble into those troubleshooting, oh my gosh, it's not working. Here's how to clean the hearing aid so it starts to work. Here's how to, where to sit because we're about to do speech therapy and we're in this, this nice community at the senior community and now it's noisy. Maybe we should move. Maybe we should go to where it's quieter, you know, yeah. giving them those strategies of, oh, this is how you would hear your wife. Sometimes the SLPs can go to dinner with them or breakfast if, if it's in non-COVID times, but sit with whoever they're having a communication difficulty with and experience it with them and then give them tips while they're there. Yeah. Whereas an audiologist, we don't really get out into the functional world so much. We're in the clinic, we set things, and then we're, we bring them back and say, so how did it go? But we're not usually with them, where the SLPs have the ability to be more functional, you know? Yeah, that's that's a great example. I really like that. I, I teach master's level SLP students. And one of the things I like to, you know, really help them understand is not only are there so many more SLPs than there are audiologists, like 10 times more at least. Um, so you're going to interact with people with hearing loss who maybe haven't seen their audiologist in however many years or who need to see one. And you can tell they have a problem and haven't before. So you need to be the communication expert in that sense, but also you're just going to see them more often. Mm -hmm. Like that's just the reality of how their therapy works versus how often we get to see them. And so it, it doesn't take much to have an understanding of a lot of these processes and having it reinforced by multiple, multiple clinicians giving you the same information is so much better retained. We talked about that 20% that they're going to take from the appointment when they see us. Well, if it's reinforced again somewhere else, and then again, when they see them, you know, it's, it just keeps coming and it really starts to sink in and they really start to understand better. So yeah, I, it, I have a few, some of my SLP friends, we've had like discussions about this kind of thing before. And they're like, well, I'm not an auditory verbal therapist. So I don't know if I'd be too comfortable like talking through that thing, which is totally fair. But to take, to take that little bit of effort, if, especially if you have one on your caseload that you know you're going to see a lot, if even if you're in swallowing, you know, but you know you have a patient who's older and may, maybe wears hearing aids, it's critical that you know, with it, like you said, within your appointment that they heard you the entire time because I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had other, you know, instances with students where they checked at the end or halfway through and the battery was dead like the whole time, you know, and so having that like entry level maintenance kind of skill can just be critical in reinforcing all these skills we're trying to instill in them so that they can become self-advocates you know for themselves sure or maybe so maybe they they're working with a stroke patient they have aphasia but they're also having um short-term and long-term memory issues and just reinforcing um, maybe that person did learn how to open and close their battery door a long time ago but now they've forgotten and they just need to be retaught you know, or just, you know, dimension is, is a thing, whether you've had a stroke or not. And sometimes they just need to be encouraged over and over again. Or, hey, if you're noticing something is a problem for this person and you're with them anyway, can you write it down very simply in like three steps and tell them, take this piece of paper home and you're going to put it next to your case. So tomorrow you read these three steps. Yeah, that's a great strategy. That's really, really great. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in that vein just in those specific strategies. I think that's all really useful insight. So can we get into therapy? 
Yeah, yeah, please. Okay, so oral rehab is also listening therapy, lip reading therapy, and all of that. And who's better at doing therapy but speech therapists than audiologists, Exactly. So we talk about listening, you know, especially if if a family has chosen child to be oral as opposed to having using sign language, American Sign Language, or, or total communication. But we kind of forget that, you know, in the real world, we're all smiling and using lips and lip reading and all of that. And sometimes even with an adult, we have to teach them to look at someone's lips. I remember this one gentleman, he has horrible hearing and he's like, oh, I'm like, you should look at me when I talk. He's like, no, 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 that's, that's rude. That's rude. I, I, I can't look you in the eye, you know? And, and I'm like, but you need to, because you don't hear any of those sounds guaranteed yeah. and you don't want an implant. So we're going to, we're going to practice this lip reading, showing them the difference between a sa and a fa or a voiced the versus fa. That is part of oral rehab. Yeah. Practicing having someone listen with you in a noisy cafe or in an echoey, um, you know, hallway or something, or going with someone, if you could, I don't know how many traveling speech paths there are, or even audiologists, but if they say, I can't hear when I go to a religious ceremony, go with them to that place, find out where they sit, and then find out where the speakers are and say, we're moving you. This is going to be much better. (laughs) Trust me. You know? Just, just to add yeah. on to that, a strategy I've used before, if because I can't go, is I have them take a picture from like either where oh, they sit like or, yeah, sometimes at restaurants too, like those specific situations because there's so much that they don't realize they don't know is a factor. You know what I mean? But we would know instantly like, oh my gosh, like the lighting right there is horrible. Of course you can't see their face and you're missing so much. And so, yeah, just a simple picture from your patient too can give you a lot of insight as best they can. That's cool. You know? I like that a lot. Yeah. Somehow, sometimes we need to physically feel like we're there or we need to Mm -hmm. let them practice somehow, even in the office. So if they, we're like, okay, let's pretend we're in a noisy restaurant. Here's the table. You sit here, you sit there. Or where would you sit? And then they always choose the wrong seat. Like, no, (laughs) you're gonna, you don't want to face the restaurant. You want to face the wall. Role play is big. Practicing listening in background noise. Practice on the telephone, if you're an SLP, oral rehab would be you call them in, in, let's say you're in their apartment or you're in a clinic or something and you place a phone in front of them or have them use their cell phone and you go in a different room and try to call them. Do you know how many seniors don't know to press green for go on their cell phones? And they just keep saying hello, hello, and then say it doesn't work. And it's, and that's maybe memory. That could be um, part of, of whatever they're, they're working with, or someone showed them. And we just assume everyone knows these things. That's part of helping them to communicate because no matter whether you, they're using an implant and we know where to, that they should use the phone or they're wearing a hearing aid or a Baja or even a pocket talker, we want them to eventually not have to go to therapy all the time or always be in our offices. We want them to have the information, practice it so that they live the happiest life they possibly can, even though they do have an organ that isn't working as well as, as some people's do, you know, happiness is the goal. Good communication. Absolutely. And that's why it's got to be individualized. It's got to be based on their goals and their specific, you know, listening situations. Um, But yeah, I think those examples of like modeling and role play are really great. 
and hopefully really helpful. Hopefully somebody out there is like, oh, that'd be a great way to explain it to somebody. We, we've recently upgraded our computer speakers in our clinic to not be just the ones that are built into the PC tower that sound like awful and that have really long cords so that we can, I mean, some people, I've seen some people with some pretty legit setups where they've got like multiple speakers in their room and they can like full on simulate a restaurant. We aren't there. We've just got a couple of speakers, but they've got the extra long wire. So we can kind of like, I'll have one curved around to one side and curved around the other side. And then I'll just, you can go to YouTube and just search cafe noise. And it's just chatter and footsteps. And it, I mean, it sounds pretty realistic. And then you talk through strategies. Okay, look, I'm facing you right now, but the the noise is like right next to me. So what could we do in this situation? So, you know, as many like real world examples as you can, because I, I don't know what the science is there, but it sticks. If they can have lived it and experienced it, it really sticks like nothing else does. Same with, you know, using their accessories. How many people would say they, they got the big box for the implant. They got all that stuff and they've never tried the accessories. They were too afraid they, they didn't really know. No one really had time for it. It just kind of went home with them and were just like, go play. No, they need to have that, that stress of not wanting to break something um, there. And, uh, you know, same with so many seniors don't understand that FaceTime is so easy. And it could really, really, really help them if someone just showed them, you have, most of them have an iPhone. You have an iPhone. I'm going to FaceTime you. I'm going to ring you. And then all you have to do is press green. And then you should see the look on their face. They're like, oh my gosh, there you are. You know, they're so excited, but they had to practice. And then you say, tell your daughter, just FaceTime you. Especially with COVID going on right now where they can't meet, you know, for them to be able to see each other's faces is so good. And then, okay, remote mic. You know, you're terrible in that, in the dining room setting. Can we practice that you put it, you take your remote mic, get another water glass that's empty and you clip it on the glass and then you just kind of push that around the table to whoever you want to hear. Ooh, I've never heard the glass. Oh technique, yeah. But that's good. Right? So that's it's real good. subtle. It just happens to be there and then they could just push it to whoever they wanted to talk to. And then it's, it's not as obtrusive because they're afraid to ask, same with kids, they're afraid to ask their teacher to put on this FM system. They're afraid to ask their friends and family members to put on a remote mic. So giving them a way to, let's practice this. You hear me better, don't you, when I have this over by me with the cafe music. I love that. I wrote it down. And then, then it starts to reduce anxiety. Change is hard. New technology is hard. We don't want it to be like something they'll get to someday and it's in a box. I hate it when they bring the whole box. They're like, well, I don't want to forget. So I brought everything. And I'm like, you didn't open this, did you? They're like, no. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's great. I really love the cup technique with the microphone. I think I'm definitely going to be stealing that. It's it's so it's so satisfying when you finally see someone reach that point of like self-empowerment and advocacy where they have been asking someone to wear it. But man, getting there is, it, depending on the person, it can take forever. It can take years of them building up confidence to do things like that. And so having more subtle ways, because we can't wait years for you to miss out on all everything that's happening around you. So having those like subtle strategy strategies, I think is a really great idea. Absolutely. Yeah, it's sad that a lot of them will only ask one person. That's it, the wife or, or the mom. Somebody is the only, one person is the only one that wears it. That's not cool, you know? Yeah, so 
getting back to the parents with the child with the hearing loss. I don't want to see that five-year-old with long hair just because you want to hide his hearing, you know, or the fact that he wears hearing aids. Giving everyone, if we should get into Brene Brown, you know, about don't be ashamed of who you are. Be proud of yourself. We all have shortcomings. And but if this child or this adult is great at poetry, they're great at music, they're great at sports, they're a really good reader, run with that and build them up and say, you are special and you're going to you're going to do great things. And you know what? You're worth asking. You're worth being able to hear when you go to a movie. You know, so there's another thing. Let's say a speech with all just wanted a cool field trip. We're an audiologist. After COVID, hopefully our movie theaters will open again. Go to a movie with them and find out what it's like. Can you get that little um, closed captioning device that's supposed to go in the cup holder? Did it work? If it didn't work, show them about self-advocacy to go up and go complain and get free movie tickets for next time and tell them I'll be back and it better be fixed. You know, teaching them about Americans with Disability Act and their rights. Don't be rude, but the more that they they can be there with someone who's supporting them, the easier their life will be. Yeah, that's great. That's so great. There's another great piece of technology that I feel like not as many people are aware of that we utilized once for a really strange reason, but the cup holder one works great. I have used that with a friend before, but we had a French foreign exchange student staying with us. He was like a 14 year old kid. He was from France, had just started learning English. And they had these, he would really, he really wanted to have captions because he read English much better than he, when he understood it, when he heard it. And so I was kind of like, let me just kind of see what options there are at this movie theater that we go to pretty regularly, because the only ones I'm familiar with are either the headset that I tried on before in grad school when I was, I did a similar experiment back then to see what the options were. I go to the movies a lot, by the way, I should clarify. (laughs) So I tried the, the headset that kind of tunes in and then you can just kind of have the audio louder. And it was horrible. It was horrible. It was so choppy, very unclear, like just bad. You were better off listening through the speakers of the movie theater. And I complained about that. And they said, yeah, we were working on other options. So you've really got to be the one who's the squeaky wheel. But anyways, this option that they had was so cool. There were, the, there were these glasses that you put on. They look just like typical glasses, little pieces of glass right in front of your eyes. But the captions were somehow like lasered into the glasses wow. so that it was just within your field of vision. No matter where you looked, you could see the captions. Like Google Glasses they were trying to create. Yeah, yeah kind of like Google Glass. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I like to share stories like that for patients to know like, okay, like even if I don't have that much trouble, then like, hey, that's kind of cool. And B, I wouldn't be missing anything, you know, if they're the kind of person who really likes captions. So I'm always interested in those new accessibility options, especially at the movies, because I spend a lot of time there. Hold on. So the movie theater had those glasses? Yes. What state are you in? South Carolina. Really? Oh, yeah. I want those. It was a newer it was a newer theater. It was a newer That's theater. Cool. So maybe they had invested in some nice stuff. That's cool. That would be a great yeah. thing to push and make popular. Yeah, in theaters, oh, at sporting events. I like love it, that. it it was really seamless. I really thought it was cool. And so so <laughs> the foreign exchange student wore those so he could read the English. Or heck, could he order French captions? That would have been cool. They didn't have they didn't have French ah. captions, unfortunately. Yeah, it was only one, but it, I mean it was helpful for him. Yes. And you know what? He was a third. You know, you know who were the most self conscious people in the world? Thirteen year old boys. Yes. And you know what? He wore them the whole movie, and he was very happy to be able to be, participate. So, I, if if my 
55 year old man patient like you can step up you can do this it'll you'll be better for it you're and just keep telling them you're worth it your happiness is worth it and you know i have to say i don't know i'm i'm a huge disney fan but i don't appreciate the fact that they had um dumbo is a major character with the big ears and then he got laughed at and he didn't speak and then um dopey with the snow white and seven dwarfs big ears didn't speak and and i think that um as time comes comes along i'm hoping that as people age and if they do have a hearing loss as they get older the generation's mindset about hearing and doing something about your hearing changes so that's part of our counseling something else that wasn't necessarily part of our curriculum but we've come along where we're teaching them that we all have shortcomings when I, yes, in the second grade, I was upset that I had to wear glasses and I was worried people were going to make fun of me, but I got over it. The same thing happens with glasses or sorry, hearing aids. And actually people start to look around. They're like, wow, a lot of people wear hearing aids, don't they? I never noticed that because you weren't looking for it. And lastly, let them know or the teenagers know you are more concerned about yourself and how you look than anybody else. You're not even looking at anyone else. And you have these mental monsters thinking everyone's staring at you and they're not. And they think the same thing. They're in their own bubble. So be cool, be outrageous, step outside of the box and just have fun. That's what Brene Brown talks about of just being, they, she found that the happiest people in her studies, she's a sociologist that studied shame and found that those that are happiest in this world are those who are wholehearted, open, and not ashamed of who they are and where they came from. They can laugh at themselves. They can say, yep, I just burped. Mm-hmm. That was me, I snorted. And, and they can just laugh and everybody, and then people are drawn to them because they're like, I love that he's so real. I love that they, they are just, just a honest to goodness person. And as, as the more we can get these kids or anyone who has a hearing loss to know, the faster you are okay with yourself, the happier and faster you can be, you know, life will be whatever you decide. And shame about hearing loss has to stop. But that's our job to empower them, to give them strategies, to give them the tools, show them how to use it, tell them to be really cool. It's the way we say it too. It's not just, well, yeah, you have to put these on. We want to say, this is so cool. I'm so excited for you. You get to put these on. I can't wait to hear what you hear, you know? So, yeah. I, uh, but I do think that all of this has to be systematized for sure. So every patient, every person you work with gets the same level of care. That's the bottom line. That's the key. And the more you practice that same system, the more you're going to have better patient outcomes the more the families are going to be thanking you, the more they're going to refer more people to your clinic because they know that they that you have great outcomes. Measuring it, remembering to do the pre and the post measurements. Exactly. You know, bringing it back to the beginning. Putting it all there, together. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you ever needed to present on it or someone, you know, asked you, you have great outcome measures, pre and post. And, and, you, and, and if, if something falls short, if, if you're lacking or there's new technology out there, you just change that protocol and you fit it into a place that it's going to work. Yeah, that's great. That really, I think that's a really great encapsulation of our whole conversation there Thanks. is that it's on us to bring the attitude that's empowering, 
but to also be organized, to have things written down, have a plan in place, have something that's measurable before and after some kind of intervention, and then, you know, just supporting them along the entire way. I think that was a really great way to put it all together. Thank you. I'm, I'm really jealous of the speech pass. I get to just work with them more and more and more, and they can get creative and they can add it at any time. For us, we're short on time. Yep. It's so it stinks because like as soon as they find out like something that's really interesting to the patient, they can create a lot of their content around that idea. I see that all the time in my friends that work with peds and I'm like, I can't do well. I mean, like maybe I could have had a lot more time, but I can't do like a whole Daniel Tiger themed audiology appointment. Like that would be cool, cool. but I just don't have the time and I don't see them often enough to have those materials. And, you know, so I really do admire their their, you know, ability to do those kinds of things. Um, It looks like we had a question pop up. Before we before we uh, get into the questions, though, I want to give you a chance if there's anything that you want to like kind of plug point people where they can find you additional resources, some things that we talked about. Is there anything that you can share there? Sure. Um, they can find me at entreideology.net. I have a practice in the Chicago area, but you could also go to hearingwellnessjourney.com. So this is like the pamphlet for the hearing wellness journey. This is the online oral rehab program that I created. And at the same time, I also created one that's for nurses and caregivers. So those who can't come to the appointments, but it, the, it, everything's laid on them when they when someone gets to their senior community or they live alone and caregivers come to them, no one's educating them about how to help someone with hearing aids. So it's just a shorter program for them. It's like a two hour span with these short little videos. But I felt like there's definitely a need in the world because I was tired of showing up at senior communities and people had either their hearing aids locked in a drawer because someone was afraid that they would lose them or they wore the hearing aids, but they were dead and in the wrong ears because no one actually had the time to teach the staff. So that's called hearing aid certification. Oh, cool. Yeah. I I saw that you had turned it into a program that people can undergo to really have like to check it off. They really have, you know, figured out the information that they need. So that's awesome. That's more for senior communities, caregivers. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. I just really appreciate you taking the time tonight to to talk through this with us. I'm, it's just been really eye-opening and you've given me a lot of really good like specific strategies, which I always love that come out of these conversations or like things I can actually start implementing. So that's really great. Thank you. Again. Thank you. I learned such stuff from you too. This was, this was super fun. And, and I love the fact that you're doing this for the community. I, the, I've listed all your other podcasts and they were awesome. So um, thank, thank you. you for hosting. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for for coming out on this tonight. It's just been such a great conversation. And I'm looking forward to checking in, you know, like everybody I've talked to so far, I'm like, okay, well, that made me think about another thing. So talking about, we'll we'll have more things to talk about, you know, in the future, maybe about your experience kind of as a practice owner and things like that. But we'd love to have you back on at some point. Thank you again for, for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.